Why don't we lift our voice? Let's just give the Lord praise. Let's receive everything we've heard tonight. What a great word from the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, we worship you, Lord. We praise your name. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. I love history. Anybody like history? Discovered one day when at O'Donnell Elementary School, Felton Road, walked into the library and discovered the biography section of the library. And it started a journey over the next few years of me reading most of the books that was in the section of that elementary school. And uh, the biographies that I read, they were exciting, narrative form. They were not a dull, dry account just of yesteryear, but the way they wrote them and put them into that narrative form, I was mesmerized. I, I felt like I was crossing the Delaware with George Washington and and then I was with Abraham Lincoln at the Gettysburg Address. It was during that time that John Paul Jones would say that he had just begun to fight. And Dan Morgan's riflemen and Geronimo and Wild Bill Hickok and Buffalo Bill Cody and Custer's Last Stand. And as I began to go through those, those stories of yesteryear, general works such as the colonial period, the Revolutionary War, Civil War, World War II, some of my favorites. And at that same time, I don't know if this is heresy or not, but I did have a comic book Bible as well. <laughs> and in the comic book Bible, I would read and see Joshua fighting the battle at Jericho and Samson. I, I would see David kill Goliath and then Daniel and also the three Hebrew children. And I would watch and with this vivid imagination that I had... My eye was not content with the written word, and so all the stories that I've mentioned and so many more were acted out in my living room. They were acted out in my backyard, sometimes with a cooperative Doberman Pinscher. My toy boxes were full of guns, swords, knives, armor, battle helmets. My father and my uncle's military uniforms, they were all there in my toy box. And it was this, my human nature maybe our human nature, to develop a romanticized, idealized, rose-tinted perspective of history. Uh, the few times that I did die during these times, it was very dramatic. It lasted a few minutes, and then I was back on my feet for another adventure, either to repeat this one or start out on a new one. At that time, I didn't have really enough self-awareness to realize what the historical record in my imagination was tapping into. I didn't realize all the, the power of narrative and story and prose. I, I didn't realize about hero stories that we sometimes want to embody and envision, sort of the cause of freedom or defending the weak and the helpless. I didn't realize the values that were being tapped into as, as I was pretending to be someone else. The courage of the hero stories, the courage of a John Paul Jones saying, I have yet begun to fight, or a Patrick Henry saying, give me liberty or give me death. I didn't realize the honor, those values of honor and courage, or, or the idea of an overcoming story, a Cinderella story, a rags to riches story, a good versus evil story, such as maybe World War II. I didn't realize the 
the type of narratives that are out there like a survival story of David and Goliath. Against all odds, survival story or maybe Daniel and the Hebrew children or a brotherhood story like Custer's Last Stand. Over time and maturity and dialogue, talking with others and life experience has helped me to recognize that I really did have this romanticized, idolized view of the past. My dad would often say, when they would talk about the good old days, my dad would say, well, you can have them. I lived in them. I prefer automobiles and air conditioning. <laughs> that when others would talk about those good old days, dad said, I, I was there and they're not as good as you're cracking them up to be. Somewhere along the way, too, it dawned on me that uh, I was always the, the author of my dreams and my my pretend and my imagination, that if I had really been born in the day of Buffalo Bill and Wyatt Earp and Wild Bill Hickok, that the Wild West, that it probably wouldn't have turned out so well. In fact, one day I realized that my hands were actually rather slow and shaky. <laughs> that, that with my vision, I couldn't see 15 feet in front of me without Coke bottle glasses and that no doubt I would have died in my first gunfight, and at the cemetery, it would have said, rest in peace, Brent the Kid, the slowest guns in the West. This idealized view that we often have, but decades of war have brought the realities of war home. As I know people in our congregation that have PTSD, because of their service in the military. And that being in a closed prayer room with a tight prayer room sometimes doesn't go so well emotionally and psychologically. That we see people who have lost limbs and so many other things. That in going to tour Arlington Cemetery, I had men in our church tell me the number of the graves of the friends that died with them over on the other side of the ocean. I still remember back in 1991 the launch of Operation Desert Shield during the first Gulf War and I clearly remember my, my supervisor at the Old Country Buffet. Anybody ever eat at the Old Country Buffet? Greenfield, Indiana. And uh, on that last day he let us know as he was walking out. He said, well, I want to say goodbye. He informed us that he had joined the military. He was leaving to fight against Iraq in the first Gulf War. It was, it was launched in response to Iraq's invasion of Kuwait, and he was committed to fighting for freedom. And, and I have to tell you that that day when I was reading it about it in the papers, it touched some of those same, same emotions from my early childhood. They were stirred. The idea that maybe I could make a difference. Maybe I should join the military and I could be the hero and have courage and honor and overcome and good versus evil. And all those things from my childhood were touched just a, a little bit. Until my mom slapped me up the back side of the head. But recently, with Russia's current invasion of the Ukraine, I've been captivated by the stories of war. Been captivated by the courage of President Zelensky. Been captivated to hear the thousands of casualties, those who have been killed or wounded. And, and probably due to my age, I don't feel the same emotional pull courage and honor and all of that that I felt in 1991. In fact, I look at it a little different. I now have 
have two sons and a future son-in-law that are at the age where they could be drafted if there was a World War II or Vietnam-era draft instituted. And I look at it a little bit different. Fear shoots through my heart, the adrenaline to realize the dangers that, that real battle and real wars have. And evidently, I'm not the first and the only one to have my emotions stirred and my values awakened. There are, are thousands of people around the world who are passionate about what is taking place. There are those who have stayed in the Ukraine against all odds. There are those who have returned to the Ukraine. And the invasion, like all military conflicts, is anything but something that's romantic. Children are dying. Hospitals are being bombed. Family is being separated. Friends, during my praying and processing what is happening in the world today, my anger, my righteous indignation that that what I perceive to be unjust and unfair, a realization has taken place in my life over the last number of weeks if I sort of process that, is that too often in this physical realm we are, we are excited and we have these maybe grandiose thoughts of being able to be the hero that saves the day, maybe a hero on a mission as one book just recently came out, talking about a path to a meaning, meaningful life. Hero encouraged during conflicts and challenges of the past or maybe escaping grandiose ideas of what we could do in the present or maybe in the future. And, and yet all of the time we remain largely desensitized and unfazed by, by the greatest atrocity in human history. See, when I start talking about I am a patriot, I love the United States of America, I love my country. I'm thankful for the freedoms that we have to gather here today. I know there's a lot that needs to be corrected and improved, but I, I'm thankful. I love, I love my country. And, and so there is this part that rises up about freedom and, and all of that courage and honor and all of those. And, and yet I realize that while I might be motivated, inspired, or as many young people are that join the military at times like this because what they see is going on in the world. I realize that sometimes we are so focused what is happening in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and even in the Ukraine that many times we are unaware of the greatest atrocity in human history. Because Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Ladies and gentlemen, the enemy of our soul would like for us to think we need to go to war and if we want to defend freedom and liberty and all that, we need to go to Iraq and Afghanistan and Ukraine to fight, that we have to go across the sea to fight injustice or a tyrant or that if we have to go across to, to fight someone who has committed or is committing war crimes and, and that we have to go across the sea to confront someone who has no respect for human life or whether it's a newborn or an elder. And the reality is is that the God of this world who seeks to steal, to kill, destroy has troops that are attacking human lives all around us. And it's not just on the other side of the ocean that it's in your neighborhood. It's across the street. It's the people that you work with. And he is destroyed. And I realized how come I get so moved sometimes by what's happening in the political world and that I can be so unaware of, of what's happening in my neighborhood. 
How come we can feel such an urgency to stand and defend and be courageous and honorable when it comes to some realms and yet the greatest attack and atrocities ever happens around us on a daily basis. Peter said it like this, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. This is what he's about. John 8 says it. John says, you are of the father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks speaks from his own resources for he's a liar and the father of lies. You talk about propaganda, lies, deception, stealing, killing, destroying souls. I want you to know who's at the top of the list. It is Satan. And I also want you to know something else. If you are not aware, we right now, as the church of the living God, we are at war. And there's not a greater cause in the world. There's nothing more honorable or courageous than enlisting in the Lord's army. There's nothing more important than being a part of the brotherhood, the community of believers that is battling against sin and darkness. This has got to be our finest hour. Can I tell you that all the other things that are happening in the world today is just a response of Satan, a puppet master who is pulling the strings around the world that behind all of human flesh there is a Satan, a devil that is trying to destroy our world through all the wars, through the pride and the offense and the disrespect, through what's happening in entertainment and sports and Hollywood and Nashville and in Vegas in political agendas concerning human life and gender distinction there is one behind there that is trying to destroy from the youngest to the eldest because he wants to destroy not just the physical body but he wants to see them destroyed in hell and there is nothing that you could give your life to that's more honorable it's more courageous it's more needed it's more a matter of life and death and to be a part of the church of the living God. The text is clear. There is a war going on. And King Jesus is calling for us to take a stand. Paul clearly called for Timothy to fight. He said, I charge you for Timothy 1.18. Son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. He said, 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were called. There is a call from on high, and it's the king saying, hey, I'm calling you to get involved in the battle. Don't just look at what's happening in this physical world. There's something more important than nations. There is something more important than politics. There is a eternity that is at stake, and there are no greater odds when the best need to rise to the challenge than right now. The apostle speaks of war that we are engaged in, the internal consequences. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 
For though we walk in this flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is the battle that we are facing. And so whether it's entertainment, whether it's music, whether it's politics, whatever, these are the thoughts, these are the ideologies, these are the winds of doctrine. We are in a battle, and it's getting into people's minds and hearts and it's destroying their soul Paul warns against misunderstanding the war that we're engaged in reminding us not to try to war this is not according to our flesh he wants to make sure we know the battles that we have to fight Ephesians 6 10 18 finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able power able to stand against the wiles of the devil, his craftiness, his plot, his scheme, this Mothegio. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. He says sometimes the reason we aren't as aware of the battle is because it's not happening like we are typically used to. It's not happening like it did in that biography section at O'Donnell School. But principalities and powers. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Gird your waist with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This idea that we have battles to fight, front lines and objectives, principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, the puppet masters pulling the strings. <laughs> that, that He goes on to say, Paul said in the Corinthians, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices, his thoughts, his plans, his concepts, these arguments, these ways that he wants to see us self-destruct. Here, in fact, he's talking about unforgiveness that can get in our heart where we do not forgive and bitterness and, and these things that can cause us to self-destruct because through his propaganda and through all of his devices and his strategies, he wants us to implode. He wants us to fight one another. He wants us to hate one another. He wants us to get bitter and hurt and disrespected and pretty soon we're not fighting battles out there because he's worked his way up throughout the church and instead of being a brotherhood and a sisterhood that is in the Lord's army that is united against a common foe, we are consuming one another. We cast down arguments. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity of the obedience of Christ. He says this is not about flesh and blood. The war maybe that you'll be typical. You think about. He says we have to fight our flesh. Desires of our flesh. Epithemia, the desires. The desires of our eye. The pride of life. We have to, to realize as he said that these things are not of the Father. They are of this world. 
You know what worldliness? Worldliness is whatever makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange. That's what worldliness is. And we live in a day where the world is taking the things of God and trying to make them look strange. And it's trying to take the perverse things and make them look normal. That is the spirit of our world. And you know what Paul is saying? Paul says it's time for somebody to fight. You know how we fight? We fight like this. We get out the sword of the spirit. We start preaching the gospel. We start teaching the apostolic doctrine. We start taking a stand. We start bringing thoughts into captivity. We start bringing down high things that would exalt themselves against our Lord. It's time to fight. Peter says it like this, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts less desires that war against your soul. The desires of your flesh are attacking, warring against your soul. It's not about just your body. It's about your soul in hell. We have to realize how close the battle is. The battle is not just around us. The battle sometimes is in us. And you've got to learn to abstain from that. Paul said to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, abstain from every form of evil. Paul said in Romans 12 that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. This is not about me or my pride or my flesh. This is about we are in a battle, we are in a war, and eternity is at stake. And so we have to abstain, we have to fight, we have to put to death the deeds of the body. Paul said this, if your hand or, or, or Jesus said, if your hand or if your foot causes you to sin, here's how vital this battle is. Just cut it off. It's better for you to enter in the heaven main, not able to see only with one eye, than you to be lost and be cast in the everlasting fire. This is the consequences. And so we have soldiers that come back and they only have one leg or one arm. But they are going to make up their mind. This flesh is not going to keep me. I'm going to abstain. I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to get up. Paul said in Romans 8.13 that if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The battle that takes place. Paul said, I die daily to the Corinthians. He goes on to say, you know how we, we do this? We put on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 13, 14. And if we put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its desires. And Galatians, he said to the Galatians, I say then walk in the spirit, Galatians 5, 16. And you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. For the flesh lusts or is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you wish. This is the battle. It's all around us, but yet he wants to work his way in our hearts and to our minds, and there's only one thing that conquers this battle. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are transformed when you start getting the word of God in your heart that you do not sin against him. When the preached word and the teaching of the word of God starts bringing these ideas and these imagination and these winds of doctrine and brings them down it is critical though that we recognize in Paul's letter to the Ephesians that the purpose of the whole armor of God is that where we can stand against it. 
And, and the image is of believers. Fully dressed in the armor of God. Attentive, watchful, confident. Confident in the strength of the Lord's might in them. That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That I am prepared that I am equipped, I have everything I need to win this battle. And so for the call for the church is, is when you have the whole armor of God and you have the spirit of God, you have everything you need, then you need to stand there for. You don't back up, you don't retreat, you don't leave, you stand. Because greater is he that is in you. The preparation, the equipment will keep you in that day. The world has been inspired by President Zelensky, a former actor and comedian who has risen to the challenge of leadership, has gained worldwide recognition as, recognition as a wartime leader for the Ukraine during the Russian invasion. In the early morning address on February 25, 2022, Zelensky said that his intelligence services had identified him as Russia's top target. And that he staying in Kiev, he and his family, if they stayed in the country, they were in danger. The United States, the Turkish government, they all offered to evacuate him and his family to a safer location to give him assistance with the effort. Zelensky turned down both offers and he opted to remain in Kiev with his defense forces saying this, the fight is here. I need ammunition, not a ride. This former comedian and actor was saying, you know what, I might not have been skilled in all those things, but I know where the fight is. And I know that if I want to lead and I want to overcome, I can't run from the battle. I can't go somewhere else where it's safe. But if you really want to help me out, why don't you get on the fight with me? Why don't you bring some ammunition to help me? Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you, in this world, there are no safe places anymore. Satan is destroying. And it's not time to try to talk somebody out of the fight. It's time to get with them in the fight. Your preacher doesn't need you to talk them out. He needs you to get beside them and get behind them and say, we're going to fight this good fight together. We're going to fight this battle together. Historian Andrew Roberts compared him to Winston Churchill. Harvard Political Review said Zelensky, and I quote, has harnessed the power of social media to become history's first truly online wartime leader, bypassing traditional gatekeepers as he uses the internet to reach out to the people. He's been described as a national hero and quote, a global hero by a number of commentaries and publications. Here's what he said. He, he goes on, he says, we will find, we will not forget, we will not forget, we will 
punish everyone who has committed atrocities in this war. He said, we'll find every scum who is shelling our cities, our people, who is shooting the missiles, who is giving orders. And I quote, you will not have a quiet place on this earth except for a grave. That's pretty strong words for a comedian and, and pretty strong words for an actor. But there's something that has, that has risen in him to realize that his people, those that he loved, is under attack and they're being put to death. They're being slaughtered. Children are being slaughtered. And he's saying, this has got to stop. I can't leave. I've got to fight. And we have to realize that these things happen all around us in every city that we live in, wherever we're at the church, this is the world. And the church has to step up and say, there can't be quiet. We can't be content. We got to fight. During this invasion, Zelensky has been the target of more than a dozen assassination attempts. Millions have fled their homes, displaced throughout the country. Numbers have fled to surrounding countries as refugees. And yet something interesting started happening. A number of individuals who had left started coming back. I mean, it's pretty amazing. They, they started coming back, taking up arms and fighting for their country. Now, not just young men. Even with the law now, many of them have to stay in the country and fight. But they've had grandmothers coming back to say, this is my nation, this is my home, these are my people. Grandmothers saying, I can still do something in this battle. Miami Herald says that many Ukrainian civilians have joined the fight against Russian forces. Citizens, citizens have set up roadblocks. A brewery has assisted with making explosive Molotov cocktails. Volunteers have created tank traps and more. A 22-year-old business student has returned to the Ukraine from abroad, a business student, to join the fight. The images that you start to realize is the stories of ordinary men taking up arms and women constructing Molotov cocktails and in their town squares and hunkering down and saying, you know what, we had thought about leaving, but we're coming back and we're not leaving no matter what. We see what our president's doing. We see that others are doing. So mothers and grandmothers are returning. Professional athletes are returning. Olympic skiers are returning. Professional tennis players and soccer stars. Several of the biggest boxers on the planet have come back and take up arms in this battle. One is the second longest reigning heavyweight champion of all time. And he's wearing a uniform and carrying a rifle. Because it doesn't matter how much money they have. It doesn't matter how much success they can get. It doesn't matter how they might be able to escape this because of their talent or their ability. When you're in a battle, it doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what your name or power or prestige is. When we are in a battle, we all have to strap on. We all have to pick up our weapons and we all have to fight. Even former models, Anastasia Lena, who represented Ukraine and Miss Grand International Beauty, beauty Contest models are fighting. 
hip-hop artists. Yet, a recent university poll revealed some troubling trends that have been bothering me. Americans were asked this. If you were put in the same position as the Ukrainians are now, would you stay and fight? Or would you leave this country? And only 55% said they would stay and fight. 38% said they would flee. Law professor refers to his Sicilian family. He talks about that they came over to the United States from Sicily. And he says despite the prejudice that they encountered in the difficult times... He said, my Sicilian grandparents celebrated Independence Day like a religious holiday because of their pride to become American citizens. He said, my grandfather was a union organizer, a coal miner who developed black lung disease in the mines of Ohio. He could not read and he could not write, but he could proudly recite parts of the Declaration of Independence and he could sing our national anthem. And he says we should be alarmed by this poll because it shows a deep disconnect between the country and its, its protection. He says this, if you're not willing to defend the country, citizenship has become a status of convenience. An opportunistic association that can be shed as easily as it is required. Now what's important about this poll is the question was not whether or not you would go into an unjustified war as many felt like Vietnam was. No, the question asked was if this country was invaded from those from abroad, would you stay and would you fight? And Ukraine has given the world a symbol of defiance and faith that they would stay and fight no matter the odds, no matter how big the Russian bear is because this is their, this is their family, this is their friends. And what began to really touch me about this is that I hope being a part of the church has not become just a, uh, about a citizenship status of convenience. I, I hope we're not a part of the church because we're opportunistic or it offers us some things but I hope deep down in our soul is an awareness no we're a part of this and it doesn't matter how big our adversary is it doesn't matter how little the odds our adversary thinks we have and what is further disheartening is that youngest Americans those who are between 18 and 34 who are physically capable are the least likely to stay and fight. Only 45% said they would remain. 57% of those between 35 and 49 said they would stay and fight. 66% between those in 50 and 64 said that they would stay and fight. They're saying there becomes a disconnect. We are blessed and have had so much and we have sort of getting away from any kind of risk. We are living in a society that doesn't want to accept any kind of risk or, or danger. And, and so we programmed in there. But I want to tell you something. Life is dangerous. 
Life is dangerous. And I want you to know about your soul. It's not only danger, it's at risk. Because when you begin to get too casual or too careless, or church is just something you've been part to, and you're really not in the battle, when it's just something you go to enjoy and to feel good and, and to be a part of, and you're not on the winning team, you're not fighting the battles and taking up arms, you are in a precarious situation. We live in a day when perversion has become accepted in North American society and in Entertainment. We live a day when Sundays have become more about soccer and sports and recreation and the house of God. We live in a day when Easter has become more about rabbits, eggs, hats and clothes, flowers and family dinners than the cross of Jesus Christ. We are in a battle. We cannot sit back. We've got to come all hands on deck. This is the battle of our lives. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. Don't trade the cross for the American dream. Get involved in the battle. Be a disciple. Deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he gave you power that you might be witnesses. And I know, I know that it is easy to romanticize and have an idealized view of what it would be like to be a missionary in Africa or in Europe. But here's the thing. We play and pretend that and have those in our mind, and yet we don't witness to the people we work with. We don't witness to the people we go to the gas station with. And while we are being quiet and we are not fighting, you know what the enemy is doing? He continues to advance. I'm almost done. Chester Chesty Pooler was five foot seven inches. It's about my wife's height. Well, no, that's probably quite a bit taller than her. He's United States Marine, five Navy crosses. The United States Navy's second highest decoration after the Medal of Honor. Five of them. During his career, he fought in Haiti and Nicaragua. Participated in some of the bloodiest battles of World War II and the Korean War. It was in Korea that he won his, earned his fifth Navy cross. He called the troops together. They got a crate where he could stand on it. And I quote, We've been looking for the enemy for some time now. And we finally found him. He said, we're surrounded. And then he goes on to say this. He says, that simplifies things. He won't get away this time. You see, it really depends on how you look at things. You could say, you know what, we're surrounded by darkness. We're surrounded by evil. We're surrounded by all the sin of this world. You know what that means to me? They won't get away this time. There's somebody we're going to touch with the gospel. There's somebody we're going to impact. We are in this building today and let me tell you about our amazing heritage. We are in the lineage of David who says, is there not a cause? We are following Esther who says, who knows whether we've come to the kingdom for such a time of this. We're following a Nehemiah who says, let's rise up and build and set our hands to this good work. We're following the apostle Paul who said, I am not ready not only to be bound, but to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. This is our heritage. I am thankful for those who fought the good fight of faith. Oh, I'm so thankful for them. 
I'm thankful for those who have gone before. I'm thankful for the Andrew and Nathaniel Urshans and the James Kilgores and the CM Beckton's and the JT Pews and the Bill Kaufhoff Sr. and the W.C. Parkies. I'm thankful for our current elders. Dr. Bernard, Brother Gleason, Brother Johns, Brother Graham, Brother Mooney, Brother Jones. But you know what? I'm thankful for those who are in this room between 18 and 34 because I have full confidence that this room is not represented by that pole. I believe I'm talking to a generation that are full of the Spirit of God and they're not about to run. They're not about to look for an easier way, but they're ready to stand and fight. And they'll say, hey, we'll fight by the elder. There is no difference in our commitment. We are as committed to this battle as they ever were. John F. Kennedy said, decorated for bravery, he said, let every nation know whether it wishes us well or ill that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. And somehow I feel that that's what's happening among this generation. When we fight, as Paul says, we don't fight as one who beats the air, but we discipline our body. We bring it into subjection. We will not be disqualified. We will be known along with those who turn the world upside down. Because Winston Churchill said, never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. I believe one day people are going to look back. They're going to look at this congregation. And they're going to say, you have no idea how much and how many were impacted by those people who are in your life, church. And so ladies and gentlemen, we are at war, if you didn't know it. And we are armed. And so Paul said, don't just stand. Stand there for because you have the armor. Don't back down. Don't retreat. Don't look for an easier way. You just stand right where you're at. You have everything you need to overcome. No retreat. No surrender. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Let's finish strong. We are brothers and sisters and we are fighting a good fight.